1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. You
0: yeah, know, the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, it's good, my guy.
1: Chilling, bro. Relaxing weekend. Nice relaxing Sunday overall. Big shout out to my culture. Today is the Puerto Rican Day Parade. For those of you that are unaware, it's a 65th annual parade that goes down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Uh, you know, being a natural Puerto Rican. Um, I want to say second American generation, just because my parents were born here, but all my grandparents were born over there. Um, absolutely grateful for the culture that I have and the family that I come from. So just big shout out to my Boricos out there, man. It's a, it's a huge day. Today, when you guys hear it, it'll be yesterday. But, you know, for the sake of what we're doing right now, just a chill day. Just got to uh, relax and hang out.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I'm coming off of watching uh, the new Top Gun movie, which was, dude, it was great. I loved it. Just... The one thing that i love about that movie was there was little cgi to begin with like all the flying scenes dude they were just great just like the entertainment value from that movie was just over the top like it was it was a fantastic movie i really enjoyed it and so did the fam too so
1: it was
0: that was such a at the beginning at the beginning like when they when they basically just dropped that intro when they were on the aircraft carrier just sending off the airplanes one after another, bro. It was fire. Goosebumps, was great. bro. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really good. So the whole fam went out to go see it. So it it, it was a good time. So just the, the flying scenes, just the fact that there was no CGI in any of those scenes. That was just, dude, it's great. I loved it. So definitely, definitely a movie that if you guys have not seen it yet, go out and see it. it it's a. It's a must watch. It, like it, it's one of those like summer blockbuster movies. It's definitely worth the watch if you get some time to, uh, get some time to yourself. Definitely worth it. But, um, Kev, we got an action-packed episode, so you ready to dive into these topics? i let you have oh, the course. floor from here.
1: Yeah, you know, kind of switching it up a little bit. Guys, we got a whole lot to talk about today. I mean, first and foremost, we're just going to kind of run through the agenda as we normally do. So game five of the NBA Finals is going to be tomorrow at nine o'clock. For those of you Eastern Standard Time, obviously, if you're everywhere else, it goes from there. But, um you know the Warriors tied it up at two apiece, so we look to see who's going to take game five and usually I forget the percentages but a heavy percentage of game five winners usually takes the series in like, NBA history it's like 75 so 80 we'll percent something right like that it's really it's really potent but again we'll see what happens in that regard next we're going to kind of segue into the NHL the Rangers unfortunately fall as I said that they would to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have just reached their third straight Stanley Cup appearance, and they will be facing the Colorado Avalanche in a face-off to see who claims the said famous Stanley Cup. Then, of course, we're going to just kind of touch on baseball. I mean, for the most part, we have kind of faded away from being able to talk about it at a consistent basis, but there was a whole lot of baseball going on this weekend, and I kind of wanted to segue and kind of perfectly put into a a conversation that I felt was necessary, and that's the topic of and. Wow, I almost said Andrew Luck, but it killed me. Oh, a little bit of pain inside. Uh, the Aaron Judge situation in New York, and that is going to be, you know, the fact that he was offered a pretty big contract this offseason. Aaron declined, and he's having an absolute MVP candidate year. I mean, the numbers are astronomical. The Yankees are on fire. I mean, today they won 18-4 to against the Chicago Cubs. And in huge part, that is going to be the to the success of this offense, which is, of course, led by Aaron Judge. So Kyle and I will talk a little bit about you know what it means for his extension now that he hasn't signed prior. Will that number go up? Will the Yankees cave and give him the years and the money that he wants? We'll see what happens. But of course, when you talk about Aaron Judge, we have to just kind of have a quick passing and mention of the Yankees and the success that they've been having over the last couple of months. It's June, and the Yankees are absolutely killing it and are the, by far and away the best team in baseball. I didn't see it coming. We've talked about it a multitude of times, and I'm the one that's always saying it's June, but... It's starting to get to a point now where it's like, okay, it's June, but holy shit, this team looks like it's World Series bound. And again, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but it's just the sheer fact of that's how good they are right now. And with how good they've become, we're also going to talk about a big surprise that we have not expected and that's going to be our biggest shock of this season. And that's going to be the team across the borough. And that's going to be the New York Mets. The New York Mets are the best team in the National League, right behind the Yankees. I believe four and a half, if not five games behind the Yankees for the best record in the MLB. And that is just something that I don't think, quite frankly, Mets fans saw coming. But every year they managed to talk like Cowboys fans and say they're World Series bound. So I will give them their due credit. They are actually doing relatively well. But uh, yeah, no, that's a massive jam-packed agenda for you guys. And uh, Kyle, are you ready to get this started, bro?
0: Yeah, bro. Let's dive into uh, that Game 5 matchup that we got between uh, the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. So how we got to this point, just kind of like a quick summary of the series so far. Uh, Boston was able to take Game 1 on the road in San Francisco. And then going into Game 2, Golden State was able to even up the series 1-1 apiece. When we went to Game 3, Game 3 took place in Boston. Boston was able to get it done uh putting them up to 1 in the series and then in game 4 Golden State was able to match what Boston did in the previous game and take game 4 in their hands to tie the series up at 2-2 apiece with game 5 it will be back in San Francisco this is a must win game for both teams uh when you look at the Celtics uh the Celtics are going to be on the road they've had road success in this series already so they look to repeat that going into game five. And then we look at Golden State. I would imagine that they're going to try to build off of the success that they had in game four on the road with just Steph Curry, just who just absolutely lit it up in game four, dropping over 40 points in a must-win game for Golden State. They were also able to get some good contributions from Klay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins as well. They chipped in around 15 to 18 points between both of them, respectively. This is a huge game for both teams. Game takes place on Monday night. So, this is going to be something that Kevin and I are going to be watching pretty intensely uh, when it comes to game time. Kevin, to kick this one to you, in this game five matchup between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors, who do you think is going to take it and why?
1: So, this is tough for me because Kyle and I talked about it before we actually started recording. And, uh, you know, before I even get started, shout out to Chef Curry, 43 points. 10 rebounds Kyle and I both called it he was going to have to put up 35 to 45 points this man absolutely carries the team and just absolutely puts on a show I, I think he is the oldest person behind LeBron James to score 40 points in a finals since Bron did it in the bubble Um, I just, it's absolutely insane the fact that he just went off the way that he did and he just kind of took the, the weight of the team and say you know what I haven't been consistent enough. Granted, he got support in this game, but I'm saying in general, he just kind of had to get into that rhythm, that groove, and he led the way, man. They, they they win a nail-biter for the most part. Obviously, free throws put it a little bit farther out of reach than what it looked to be, but it was a lot closer uh, later in the fourth. But man, you know, Curry went off, so shout out to him. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this game is going to be another nail-biter. I'm going to say that, you know, for the most part, this is going to be kind of a shocker for most people, and I would expect, if not assume and hope that this goes to OT. Curry's been killing you all season, excuse series. I think that Udoka's got to make adjustments, whether that's a double at half to get the ball out of his hands, get a little bit more physical with him, but then again, that's going to put him at the free throw line and get your, you know, your stars in foul trouble. But I think Udoka's going to kind of make some big adjustments and they're going to try to get the ball out of Steph's hands and make others beat him. With that being said, I think that the unsung heroes are going to be in this game a combination of two people, Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. Klay Thompson's been way too inconsistent. His shot selection has been questionable all series and all postseason. I think Jordan's going to have to realize, listen, my boy is is struggling. My boy's getting, you know, beat up, fouled, whatever the case may be for Steph. He's going to have to drop in maybe like 20 points. I think that Andrew Wiggins is going to have the biggest game of his finals career. I think he puts up 20 to 25. I know these are bold takes, but I just feel that with Klay kind of being in and out, Steph has been playing at this level pretty much the entire playoffs there is going to be a game in which they're going to have to make a decision on what they do. And realistically, if Steph's the only one consistently beating you, you have to see that. And whether that means you pick him up full court press at the half, or pick him up in the parking lot in his hotel room. I don't give a shit. Steph has to be stopped. And on the other side, I think that Jalen Brown's going to have an absolute massive game. Jason Tatum is, I believe Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. I sent you the stat earlier this evening. Jason Tatum is four or five turnovers away from having the most turnovers in a finals run in history, which is absolutely insane considering the man is averaging upwards of 25, 26 points per game in the finals. But to me, that shows a lot of carelessness. So I think that Jason's going to continue that trend. He's probably going to get his 20, 25 points. But again, he's probably going to have his four or five turnovers. I think Jalen's going to see that. I think Jalen's going to say, you know what? I need the ball in my hand. We all know who the best player in the fourth quarter has been. For the Celtics, and that has been Jalen Brown, in my opinion. And we all know that what he can contribute on the defensive side. I think Jalen goes for 30, and I think that he does it very convincingly. Now, the fact that this is in Golden State is the only reason why I'm picking the Warriors, because this is exactly what they needed. Steal it in Boston, Steph's on a roll, come back home to Chase Center, take a 3-2 lead, and got to go back to Boston and win one more. I'm not saying that it's 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 definitely going to happen that way. Although I did pick Golden State in six. So that would make me correct exactly. But I, you know what I'm saying? It's just a matter of what is going to transpire through this game. And I think that if Golden State can limit the turnovers and those two supporting cast members can contribute, obviously Steph's still got to give you 20, 25 points, maybe not 30, 35, but he's still got to get you buckets. Um, And obviously, Clay's got to give you his 15 to 20, whatever it is he feels like contributing in that moment. But again, Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole are going to be the heroes for me in a very, very, very close Warriors win in Game 5.
0: Well, Kevin, I'm going to pick Golden State as well. Uh, I just have it happening a little bit differently than you've outlined. Um, I'm, I'm of the mindset that Steph's going to go out and give us another 30-point performance. Now, when you look at Steph throughout this entire series, I mean, it's safe to say that Dude, he's been cooking. I mean, he dropped 43 in game four. The guy is averaging pretty much around like 34 to 35 points a game just with the scoring output that he's been able to put consistently throughout the entire series. And I think he's going to realize, look, this is game five. This is a pivotal, potentially a series uh, deciding game here. And I think he's going to go out and take that same energy and that same motivation that he had in game four and give it to Boston once again, granted, it won't be a 40-point performance. Uh, that's just ca- kind of how I see it. But I think that Steph's going to really be that primary factor that gets Golden State this win. And I mean, to look at what Golden State's been able to do in their wins so far, they've been able to get good contributions outside of Steph. And really, like Kevin mentioned, they've been able to get decent contributions from, from Clay Thompson in kind of certain certain games, not consistently throughout the series, but in certain games he's been able to step up and hit some pretty timely shots really Andrew Wiggins has been solid in stretches and Jordan Poole coming off the bench as well has been solid in stretches and I think if Golden State is going to win game five it's going to have to be at least a 30 point performance from Steph I think play is going to have to drop somewhere around 15 to 18 points that's pretty much where he's been shooting at throughout most of the series I think he had one game where he had a pretty solid uh, output and put around 25 points. But those 25-point performances from Clay are pretty spotty at best. Uh, Andrew Wiggins probably had the best game uh, of his final series so far in Game 4. He put up 17 points and 16 rebounds, which is probably the most surprising element of what Andrew did in Game 4. They're going to have to get a very similar type of performance from him. And then I think coming off the bench, they're going to need Jordan Poole. To just continue to be consistent, Jordan's dropping somewhere in between ten to fifteen points a game throughout this series. I think if they're able to get that type of contribution from him, I think it's gonna bode well for Golden State. But I'm of the mindset that that Boston's gonna be in this toe to toe the entire game, very similar to what uh, Kevin had outlined. I think when I look at how Boston's gonna attack Golden State. I think that they're going to focus with Jalen. Jalen's been, I think the more consistent performer for Boston, this entire series, not to say that Jason Tatum has been like trash in this series. It's just that Jason hasn't been as effective as I think Kevin and I possibly were going to see throughout this series. It's really been Jalen. Who's been playing pretty well. Uh, Marcus smart is somebody that I think is going to consistently uh, give Boston an opportunity to knock down some timely buckets And then don't be surprised if they continue to get solid production from Derek White. Derek White has probably been one of the unsung heroes for Boston up until this point, just because if Derek White is given decent space uh, to shoot behind the three-point line, he's been knocking down three-pointers very effectively for Boston. And he's been able to put up some solid performances, putting somewhere in between 10 to 15, possibly even 16 to 17 points in specific games. And I could see a a similar scenario uh, playing out in Game 5 as well. It's just, I think what's going to happen with Boston in Game 5 is very similar to what happened in Game 4. Very competitive game for the first three quarters. But Boston was able to knock down shots consistently in that fourth quarter. I I mean, in Game 4 specifically, the last basically six minutes of the game, Boston scored three points. I don't know if Boston's going to have that type of offensive output in the fourth quarter in game five. But I could see a very I could see a similar scenario where Boston struggles to hit shots from the field. And I think Golden State could take advantage of that uh, and possibly extend their lead in the fourth quarter if it's a relatively close game. The way that I see it, this is going to be a very close game from beginning to end. It's just I think that Golden State is going to make the plays that need to be made at the end of the game. I think Steph is going to be the one that really kind of pushes Golden State to this win alongside some key contributions from Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole. I wouldn't be surprised if Kevon Looney has a solid game as well. Not really with a scoring output per se, but really just the fact that he's able to eat rebounds consistently and provide a pretty solid uh, rim defender down low on the defensive side. Overall, I got Golden State winning game five. Um, I could see them winning this one by like Five points when it's all said and done but it would mean that golden state uh, would be up 3-2 in the series and then game six boston's gonna be on their heels but you know, that'll definitely be a fun game when we get to that but i got golden state winning this one that's just how i see it
1: now obviously i'm not gonna sit here and and, and say that it obviously our predictions correlate and match with us both picking golden state but i'm pretty sure kyle and i can both be on the same page if Jalen and Jason can be on the same page and those two hit 30 a pop, those two limit their turnovers to under six total between the two of them because we all know that sometimes they get a little careless. Marcus chips in 15, Horford gives him 10, Derek gives him 12. It's possible. The thing that I'm scared of is the fact that, like you said, their shot selection was inconsistent, but their superstar... It's too up and down. He's going to give you that 25, almost 30 points per game. But when you're putting up 25 shots and only making eight or nine of them, that's not a good look. And you're careless with the ball in the most important time. And when you're forcing those shots, teammates are getting cold. Golden State's getting in transition. They're the fastest team in the league. You're putting yourself in foul trouble for, for obviously, uh, what's, the, what's the terminology I'm looking for? Um no, the foul where you stop the where you stop the ball, the loose not loose ball foul. Damn Clear it. path. Oh path. Uh, yeah, they, they they have a lot of those instances where you turn the ball over. You can't get back quick enough because you got three Golden State Warriors pushing the floor on two Celtics. They may have to have some clear paths and just just a litany of different options when Boston turns the ball over like they do. But Golden State is just they do that too as a team. Though it's not just between two people. As a team, Golden State is careless also. So between Boston's shot selection and Golden State's turnovers, it's going to be a matter of who cracks first. And it's been pretty it's been a pretty sloppy finals because there have been some carelessness, some bad shot selections from both teams. You kind of look at it and you say you're superstar outside of Steph because I, I saw a couple reports today, and I agree completely. I don't know if you do. Steph's the finals MVP no matter what. If this goes to seven and Steph continues his 35-point performance per game, I think he might be one of the only people in NBA history that it should have a finals MVP. We all know that Braun should have won it outside of Iguodala in 2015, but that's neither here nor there. The point of the matter is, when you're doing this by yourself, you deserve the nod. But again, again, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. We can agree for the sheer fact of both teams have turned the ball over. Both teams have had some bad quarters. Both teams have been inconsistent. So it's not necessarily like a two-point game, every single game, like in the early 2000s when like the Kings and the Lakers went at it in the Western Conference Finals back and forth, when Kobe and the Nuggets went back and forth in the 2010s and that went to games. You know what I'm saying? Like games that were close. Yeah. These have been games to where it's like, all right, who's fucking up today? <laughs> who, who decided well, to show up today?
0: Well, like if you look back at that game four specifically, Boston couldn't knock down a shot for the last six minutes of the game.
1: How many and of those were bad takes, though, realistically?
0: Some of them were bad, but not all of them. You know, no, Boston but those bad ones, ones
1: lead to inconsistency. That's what I'm saying. Those four shots, your teammates are like, bro, what are you doing? They're not in a rhythm. They're frustrated. They have to play defense, and then they can't get stops on the other end. You lose motivation. You lose confidence. You lose a rhythm. You, you get cold.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the, and the thing is is that Boston couldn't find a way to really slow down Steph. I mean, not Steph had all. been Nobody cooking cares. the entire game. I mean, it really didn't matter. I mean, to give Boston credit, it's not like they had just had like one guy on him the entire night. No. They were constantly flipping uh, different defensive schemes against Steph. And Steph was able to beat all of them. I mean, some of the threes that Steph was hitting, I mean, they, these were well-contested threes that he was knocking down. And, and oh, if you're Emei Yudoka, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you can only play, you know, unless you get a block shot. You know, that's you know the best defense you're gonna get. But I mean some of these shots that, that Steph was knocking with the really the contested looks that Boston was giving him defensively, gotta Nuts. give it up to the guy. I mean, sometimes it's just better offense. You gotta live with the results in that case. I think the one thing is I think you may can live with that. If if Boston's giving their best defensive performance against Steph and Steph's still knocking it down, you know what? You give it up to Steph. It means the greatest shooter of all time. You got to give it up to him on that. But I don't think Ime going to accept is the fact that they scored three points in the last six minutes. That that Facts. that that's the part where he's going to be like, boys, we got to tighten up here. We got to play better get than to, this. Get, like, it, get it together, yeah. Because you know, I mean, three points. That's you can't have that. Unacceptable, granted, bro. They, they, granted, they didn't score three points. Um, in the, the quarter, yeah. I think they scored nineteen, a quarter. But there, there was a large stretch in the fourth quarter where Boston couldn't. They just couldn't
1: anything get going. anything
0: going. Yeah, yeah. Because early in that fourth quarter, both teams were kind of going back and forth, knocking down shots. Right. It's just that Boston went so cold. Very similar to what Golden State was dealing with in Game One, where Boston got on a roll, and
1: Golden State just couldn't get anything. Shit, so, Golden State in Game Six. Oh, excuse me, Game Three, two. They had eleven points in the fourth. I know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's it's been a back and forth of like poor performances in the fourth. Realistically, it's kind of just like, bro, what you, the
0: fuck? You know, you know the funny thing is, is when I look at this series so far, I have to be honest with you. I think Boston's been the better team so far. I agree, and even with that said, the series is tied two two, and I think in large part, Steph, I I can't say this is like a scenario where. Steph is single-handedly dragging this team to a two-two, um, series tie right now. I can't not, not to the degree of what
1: LeBron was doing. That's what no, was, that's a whole different concept. I, no, but when you look at it, it's hundred percent. If Steph ain't here, this is a wrap.
0: Now, like the way that I phrase it is that he's putting the team on his back. There's no doubt about that. The point that I'm making with the dragging part is LeBron dragged that team. Like, I that's mean, a
1: difference, though. That's a that's a that's a roster that is like a G League affiliate team without at Yeah, G.
0: yeah. I mean, because I mean, when I look at Golden State, I mean, Golden State is good, still getting good contributions from Andrew, Clay, Jordan, even sometimes Kevon Looney every now and then. Like these guys are able to show up relatively consistently. When you look back at that 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 Bron era, his second sit with the Cavs, bro, some of those rotations that they were running. With uh, with J.R. Corver, I mean, outside of Kyrie, like you know, Kyrie was you know the, the lone exception. But sometimes even Kevin Love, a lot of those guys just wouldn't show up, or if they did, it would be very spotty, be very inconsistent. Yeah. But at least with Golden State, Golden State is running, you know, solid rotations outside of Steph. You know, they're able to get these contributions from Jordan, Clay, Andrew. It's just. Sometimes when those guys go cold, Golden State's screw. Because then at that point, Steph's Steph can't carry like can't carry that much weight on his back. The no. fact of the matter is, is that you know, you got Draymond, who's probably having the worst offensive finals performance I've seen in quite some time. It does not help. And I, I mean I can't say like defensively, he's fine. Defensively, Draymond's not the issue, but offensively, dude, it hurts to watch him play offense. It's like Ben Simmons type cringe. I know we've talked about this a multitude of times, but I mean, if they were able to just get like 10 points from Draymond, I mean, it'd be a whole different, di- it's a whole different ballgame. Difference maker. I mean, Draymond's going out there scoring two points. You scoring, scoring 10. I know. you scoring 10. Mean, I mean, this series would be completely in favor of Golden State. It's like, but Kevin, what were you saying before we started recording about Draymond? He's
1: an offensive, offensive liability. I mean, like, yep. so Kyle and I had talked about the fact that in 2015, when Golden State had just reached the pinnacle, like the front door of their, their dynasty, Draymond was actually scoring 12 to 15 points while at the same time getting eight assists. He was getting his rebounds. We all know he was Defensive Player of the Year multitude of times at that point. Since that, like that year, it hasn't been a decline. It's been an absolute plummet. Like his three point percentage has gone down. His offensive efficiency rating has gone down. His turnover ratio has gone up. Like, obviously, Draymond's always been a physical player. So he's always been in foul trouble and he's always had a big mouth. But if you're not providing anything on the offensive end, you are becoming an offensive liability. You're not producing and you're not consistent at the free throw line. So when you do get there, you're hitting maybe one out of two. Maybe. They're leaving you open. You can't finish at the rim. You're missing layups. It's just, I understand Draymond doesn't need to be an offensive player at this stage in his career because you have Steph, because you have Clay and Poole, and Wiggins, but dude, you got to be able to at least, like Kyle said, give me 10, bro. If you're going to get 8 to 10 rebounds, if you're going to distribute 8 assists, you have to give me some kind of offensive consistency, some offensive at least a threat, bro. If you're going to be wide open, come on. You got to hit some shots. It's just.
0: I just I can't believe just the drop off in Draymond's offensive game. And even his own mother is saying that. Oh, my th- God. That tweet she, was hilarious. She thinks like it's a clone out there. Like this. This is not Draymond. And and the thing is, even Draymond, like I think he, he said it on his little podcast the other day after they won game four. Where his own mom is kind of roasting him. And it's, I mean, like I said, you know, defensively, that's not the issue. It's just offensively, bro. It hurts to watch him. It does. It, 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 I, I, I kind of say it in that manner because I remember when, um, I remember back in like the mid-2010s. And the, remember when the Pacers were actually nice when they had Paul George, Roy Hibbert, uh, George Hill, and those boys? Oh, those were those were fun times. You remember when Roy Hibbert was really starting to hit, starting to. Yeah, this fall is what off. you
1: said last episode. It's literally he, he, the same thing. He was here and here. then just disappeared.
0: It, like, and the thing is, like Draymond, you know, Draymond is not like a big like Roy Hibbert. I mean, they're two different players in that regard. Yeah, Roy Hibbert was a
1: seven footer. He was a, a genuine a center that was averaging like you know almost twenty points and I don't know double digit rebounds. But,
0: but but it looks like. Draymond on the offensive side has just like become obsolete. Yeah. Now, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Kevin and I were talking about this before we started recording. Draymond could essentially just become like the Golden State version of what Scottie Pippen was for the Bulls back in the nineties, where he just. You mean Rodman? Thank you. What? Who did I say? You said Pippen. I was about to say Chill. No, Pippen no, no. was no, no, no Pippen no. was a bucket. I met, I met, I met uh, Dennis Rodman. Excuse me. Thanks for you. Thanks for uh, calling me out on that. Um, he, where he could just go out and get rebounds. Just go out and get rebounds. Uh, maybe block some shots. I can't believe I said Scottie Pippen. Wow, that's... That, that that was was, an insult. You better
1: apologize to Scotty yeah, just in the, case yeah, he hears this.
0: Yeah, that was an error on my part. Um, but no, Scottie, like, he it, didn't mean it. it. If that's what it has to be, then so be it. So, but as far as game five is concerned, I think it's going to be a fun one.
1: I think oh, it, it, this is going to be the best game of the series because of literally history says game five, the majority of the time wins the series. I,
0: I I thought game four was probably the best game of the series so far, just because it was a relatively close game throughout the first three quarters in the fourth quarter. Both teams were literally trading shots in the first half of that fourth quarter. And then just golden state was able to just kind of run, run away with it at the end of the fourth quarter. And, you know, look, sometimes that happens. Nope. team gets on a cold stretch. The other team takes advantage, and you know you're in a situation where both teams are tied, two two apiece, going into Game Five. So, I know that Chase Centers could be rocking, though. The Francisco's Ooh. could be bumping Boy, for Game you, Five. So. You,
1: you are not lying. But you know what? Other city is bumping right now. Unfortunately, Tampa Bay.
0: <sighs> Kev, you gonna be all right, man? You gonna be all right for this one?
1: Hey. I said it before the series started. I expected it to end in five. It went six. Is a miracle. But at the end of the day, the Rangers made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm excited because it was an overachievement, and I don't mind seeing history. I just don't like Tampa Bay Lightning fans, especially ones that I know for a fact never watched hockey until the, they started winning. Just oh like me? the Bucks. Oh me, not you, dummy.
0: Oh, because I got to fit that description now.
1: But but the point is you watch the games all season long. That's what I'm saying. You no, go no, to no, games. No, you work not, for the arena. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's I, different. I We're what, talking about people right. that don't watch sports. That are just like, bro, the bolts all the way. And I'm like, when the bro, fuck did you watch hockey, bro? Bro, it's the vibe. It's just vibes, bro. It's the, vibe. it's the bandwagon. That's not a vibe. That's called being a dick rider. I'm not letting that one up. Let me know when the lightning were ass ten fifteen years ago and tell they me fucking half that they, roster.
0: They weren't 10, ten fifteen years ago. They were always were they excellent. relevant?
1: Were they relevant? Were they, they winning the Stanley they, Cup like they are right now?
0: They were relevant. They were getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. They weren't getting
1: 10, to 10-15 years ago when years we were ago. in high school?
0: Ten years ago, yeah. They were if you were to go back ten years ago, they were playing against the Boston Bruins in the Eastern Conference Finals with a young stammer, a young Victor Hedman, Andre, like,
1: and you said you were trying to include yourself into this bandwagon. You're literally naming players that half of the damn
0: county of Tampa wouldn't. They've been there for a decade. Like, you know, even if I'm loosely associated with following them, I could kind of, you know, pick that up. No, don't insult
1: yourself like that. You're not a bandwagon. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, it's just the The way the point is. Go ahead. Go, go. ahead. <laughs> the point is I, I, game I six happened. I know some lightning things. I know some. The the, the, the damn the damn Rangers lost. The lightning advanced to their third straight Stanley Cup appearance. And the three Pete Hope lives on. So Kyle, give me your thoughts on Game Six. And can the Lightning do it?
0: Well, with Game Six, I mean against the Rangers, the Lightning did what they needed to do. I mean, it's relatively simple. Uh Game six was it was kind of a battle back and forth where no teams were really able to get any uh, goals early on. Uh, the first period was a 0-0 draw. And then, you know, the first goal of the game, I mean, Stammer just hit... I mean, he just took a pretty decent shot. Like, it wasn't really, like, I would call it a threatening shot at net, but it was able to find its way past Shosturkin and, and to put the Lightning up 1-0 early on. And then after that... Um, it was you know relatively similar to what it was in the first period. It was just kind of back and forth uh till about like the last couple of minutes of the third period where the Rangers were able to get on a power play and Vitrano was able to tie the game one one apiece with just about five minutes left in the third. And then within twenty to twenty-five seconds later, the lightning get an in an on-man rush against the Rangers defense and Stammer hits a shot at Chisterkin. Chisturkin Saves it at first, but the puck slips out of his glove and I believe it, it hit the puck hitched Stamkos's, uh leg or hip and then was able to get past Shisterkin, uh to go to the back of the net that put the Lightning up two to one. And the Lightning were able to play solid lockdown defense uh, for the last couple of minutes of the game, even though that New York went empty net. And it was a six on five, but the Lightning were able to tighten down defensively and find a way to win game six. You know, when I look at the Lightning in this series against the Rangers, you know, their backs were up against the wall early on. Being down 2-0, going into game three, in in game three specifically, they were down in the third period. They could have been down 3-0 in the series had they lost that game three matchup at home to the Rangers, but that championship pedigree that the Lightning possess with just the veteran leaders that they have, like Steven Stamkos, Andre Palat, Victor Hedman, Nikita Kucherov, and Andrei Vasilevsky and net. I mean, it's tough to stop, and you know you got to give the Rangers a lot of credit. The Rangers really did push the Lightning here early on, especially with their their pace and just their overall speed. That was something that the Lightning were really struggling to deal with in the first couple games of the series. But you could tell that the Lightning definitely made adjustments as time went on in the series. And I think the one thing that really hurt the Rangers. In this series against the Lightning. I think it was fatigue. When you got into these game five. These game six situations against the Lightning. They just looked slower. They didn't have that. Lightning. No pun intended. Pace early on in the series against Tampa. But you could tell that. The last two series. Which both resulted in seven game series. That the Rangers had to play in. I think that came to be a factor. In this series. And I think. When they got to Game 5 and Game 6, they just didn't have the same energy and just didn't have the same effectiveness that they had earlier uh in the series against the Lightning. And I think that's where it kind of bit them in, in Game 6. It just it didn't seem like the Lightning... It didn't seem like the Rangers were firing on all cylinders like they were earlier on. And, you know, you got to give Tampa credit. Tampa was able to take advantage of the Rangers' youth and inexperience and turn it against them. And I think the Lightning... They'd already been the two Stanley Cups in a row, and you know in that Game Six situation, they knew that it was going to be a fight. It was going to be a dog fight from beginning to end. They've been in these situations before, and their experience I think really came to be one of the biggest factors in why they won Game Six and just their overall effectiveness, be able to score timely goals and really be able to lock down defensively. I mean, Vasilevsky in, in closeout games has been damn near perfect. I think in the last eight closeout games, I think his goals allowed average is like 0.5 or 0.6. He's not allowing any sort of goal pucks to get behind him in these really pivotal series deciding games. And it showed once again, you know, granted give the Rangers credit for being able to uh, tie the game at one, one late in the third. But when Vasilevsky was needed, he stepped up huge for Tampa. And that's why they're going to another Stanley cup. And, when you look at this 3 you possibility, know, Kevin and I were talking about it consistently throughout the season, but you know, in these playoffs, they've been able to show that not only is it a possibility, I mean, it's right here. I mean, we're in the Stanley Cup, and they're back in it once again. I mean, to go to the three straight Stanley Cups is nothing short of phenomenal. I mean, just the team that they have assembled with John Cooper leading the way as their head coach, just the individual coaches that they have uh, underneath John Cooper, it's just been phenomenal. And, you know, going up against Colorado, I think that Colorado's definitely going to test them, because Colorado, I mean, they've been just scoring like crazy. I mean, that series against Edmonton, they were putting up four, five, six goals consistently. One game, they scored eight goals. So, you know, Tampa's definitely going to have their work cut out for them in the Stanley Cup against Colorado. But, They have the experience. They've been there twice in the last two years, won both of them. They play their cards right. You know, we're talking about a three-peat here, which we haven't seen in any North American professional sports since the Lakers did it with Kobe and Shaq. So I got to give the Lightning a lot of credit. They showed their resolve in the series against the Rangers, but they're going to be put to the test against the the Avalanche uh, when it comes to the Stanley Cup matchup, but it's going to be a fun one for sure.
1: Yeah, for someone who uh, would say that they're a little bit of a bandwagon, that seems like a lot of detail. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. It is what it is. Anyway, um, looking at it just from a box score perspective, and again, just I'm not knowledgeable in hockey, but I know that numbers do speak volume. And, of course, like Kyle said, aside from fatigue and inexperience, New York got outplayed. Dude, the Lightning shot 31 goals. Excuse me, they shot 31 shots. The Rangers only got 21. The Lightning were able to only limit their takeaways. to Excuse me. I still can't speak, and I'm getting frustrated. <laughs> the Lightning had 12 takeaways. The Rangers only had six. I mean, you know, these are massive, massive numbers. And, of course, at the end of the day, it ended up being, like Kyle said, one of their most clutch players of the recent years to go out there and score in the fourth, excuse me, third period. Um, see what I mean? Hockey just messes me up. And then I, I'm I'm just angry at the fact that my New York team lost. Um, You know, pretty much what I'm getting at is New York was burnt out. They had just played two back-to-back seven-game series. Their motivation was crushed when they lost late in game three. And then they go and they lose the next one at home, uh, excuse me, the next one in Tampa, embarrassingly, 4-1. to one. So whatever confidence they had at 2-0 was gone now that it was tied 2-2. And it just kind of continued throughout the rest of the two games that were out there. Granted, they were both closer, but, you know, New York just couldn't get it done. New York's defense was not able to keep the puck away from the, the goalie. And it just, it, you know what I'm saying? It kind of just, it gets to a point now where you look at it and you say, we did everything we needed to do in the two games. Why in the hell were we a completely different team in the last four? How did we go up 2-0 against the two-time defending champs and lose four straight? So when the Rangers got to look at it, you know, is take this on the chin and say, you know what, we had a great run. We had an embarrassing ending to it, but this is this is how you build. Kyle has reminded me a multitude of times with all teams. This is what happens. You got to you got to play championship teams, you got to play good teams, you got to lose a couple of times to build that that grit to build that chip on your shoulder and say I'm not doing it again. We've been here before, it's time to get to the next stage. We've been here before, it's time to get over to the next hump. So, shout out to the Rangers for putting as much, much effort as, as much effort as they could. But I mean, even bigger shout out to Tampa, man. Again, I don't have a problem with the Lightning. Some of their fans kind of get under my skin, but I would not mind to see history made. But like Kyle said, it, uh, it's gonna be tough. The Avalanche are, I believe, twelve and two this postseason. They literally swept two out of their three series outside of the St. Louis series. Uh, right, but bo- right before the Western Conference Finals. And I mean, they're 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 out and waiting. But we saw this with Tampa against New York. They had a lot of time off. They've been chilling for about a week now, so that could work in Tampa's favor. And they could say, you know what, we're not the Rangers. If we get a two zero lead, we're going to capitalize. We're not going to let them get comfortable. We're not going to let them get hot. And who's to say that Tampa can't go on an absolute intense run after just winning four straight games after being down two zero? They know what's at stake. They know what's on the line. I feel like Tampa can make a run and make history, but only time will tell, man. It's going to be a great Stanley Cup final for sure.
0: Well, the question that I have for you, like this is kind of like a little side question, is if the Lightning were able to to win a third straight Stanley Cup, like when you look at the totality of, of North American professional sports, like where would you rank that as like the crowning achievements throughout all of sports since the beginning of the two thousands. Like where would you rank that possibility?
1: I mean, that puts them in history, bro. We're talking about MJ's Bulls. We're talking about the Yankees in the nineties. We're talking about freaking the the, 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 the Lakers in the two thousands. It's that these are honorable and true definitions of legendary runs. These are just dynasty level teams to you look at in sports. You tell your kids about it. Like, I lived through some of the greatest sport runs in history. I watched Kobe do it. Granted, we were too young when Michael did it, but the point is, it still happened within not just our lifetime, our parents. We watched, like, our parents watched the Showtime Lakers. I mean, for some people, they watched the 60s Celtics win 11 championships. It's just. You think of GOATs, you think of Mount Rushmore of sports, you think of some of the greatest runs in sport history, this jumps into that. Three-peats don't come often. I mean, the Patriots were one of the best teams in the 2000s in the NFL. Even they couldn't do it. It, it goes to show how hard it is, bro. Because, like, to
0: me, I mean, this this goes as, like, one of the crowning achievements if they were to win three straight championships. I mean, when you look at, like, the entire gamut of, really the major professional sports in in North America. I mean, you look at the Patriots. Yeah, they won three Super Bowls in four years in the early 2000s. I think they won three Super Bowls in five years in the, uh, the mid-2010s. You look at the Golden State Warriors in the NBA. They were able to pull off uh, three championships, I think, within in five four.
1: years. Four or five. Twenty fifteen they won, twenty sixteen they lost to the Cavs. They got KD and won two. They in got twenty
0: seventeen, yeah, they won but they won back to back. Um yeah. those two KD years. They, they honestly could have won three straight had um had KD the injuries that, not happened to yeah. Clay and K D. Because against Toronto, I think that would have worked well in their favor, but um I'm trying to think of what else. I mean the Spurs won five route, I think like a ten to twelve year stretch. It was a more like almost like a fifteen year stretch.
1: Yeah, it was weird because they won in 99 with Duncan or 98 with Duncan. And of course, um, of course, now I'm going to forget this man's name, David Robinson. Yeah. And then they went and they won in 2004. Tony Parker. No. Yeah, no. They won in 2003. 2003. Mm, no, Kobe. No, 2003 was the Pistons.
0: Because no, they no.
1: went 2000, 2001,
0: 2002. Then the Spur- next year was the-, the Pistons. No, the Spurs went in between them.
1: That's impossible. They went to four straight finals. Shaq said they,
0: they didn't go to four. They missed oh. a year. They missed a year.
1: So then that's the Spurs. They got ba- and then they got the Spurs ba- won in two thousand and seven.
0: Yeah, the Spurs beat the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals finals in, in two thousand three, and then the Lakers went back to play the Pistons in two thousand four. That that right. I think that's how uh, that that played out, but. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, just looking at just, like, the accomplishments, though, like, of those teams, I mean, the one thing about those teams is, like, they all had, like, legitimate
1: superstars.
0: With the Lightning, I don't know if they, you could necessarily say... It was
1: the... Yeah, you're right. It was the Nets. They went back to the finals again, but they faced the Spurs in '03. 3
0: Yeah. But, I, I mean, the Lightning have probably... What I would say is, like, probably the best goaltender in the league with Vasilevsky or at least one of the top three and then when you look at their their star their star players I mean would you say like like Steven Samkos is a superstar like in the NHL like uh, like on the same level as like an Alex Ovechkin, a Sidney Crosby. like
1: Probably not. I, if you're putting I, I, it in the upper echelon like that, probably not. And again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know hockey, but when you say Crosby and Ovechkin, everybody knows those guys are on like a different top, level.
0: Yeah, like I've always kind of seen those guys as a little bit more superior than Stamkos, but that doesn't diminish what Stamkos has done. And, and to go along with that, they just have a great supporting cast across the board. I mean, you have players like, Nikita Kucherov, Andre Pilat, Victor Hedman. Victor Hedman is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. So they have a good collection of players. I wouldn't say that they have like that one, like, you know, paradigm shifting superstar that changes the entire complexion of that team. Vasilevsky might be the one to kind of like pick from that that group. But no, if Tampa were to get this three P. It, it, to to me it's one of the it's really one of the crowning achievements that we've seen so far in this century you know since since 2000 you know we we've seen i mean you know great teams come and go through the first what 22 years so far i mean great teams i mean if the lightning were able to do this i mean you have to kind of put them at the top of the list cuz no 100%. team i mean one team's done it one team throughout most of The major sports in the United States and North America, you could say, only one team has done a three-peat. That was the Lakers. That was in the NBA. Now, granted, you know, you had the Bulls in the 90s do it twice, but repeats are tough to come by, bro. Those are starting to almost kind of become that three-peat is impossible. It's like elusive. There's just so much parity. It doesn't really matter what league it is. To be able to go to three straight championships, it, at the level of the competition where it's being played now, it's like you said, it's almost damn near impossible. So the fact that the Lightning were able to do it, it's really a testament to how good that team is. We just don't typically see that very often. But um, not at all. But I mean, with that said, uh, we get to transition to some uh, some positive topics uh, for Kevin's sake, because we get to talk a little bit about his Yankees. And, um, well, I guess if we're going to transition into the Yankees topics, we're going to talk about who's probably been one of the biggest players for the Yankees so far this season, and that has been Aaron Judge. It's safe to say that Aaron Judge has been on an absolute tear this year so far. He is displaying an elite level of dominance so far. Granted, we're only halfway through June, but he's one home run shy of 25 home runs. He's probably the league leader, um, or I would say probably the AL leader in the MVP race at this current moment in time. He's basically one of the most pivotal factors in why the Yankees are where they are right now. It's not only the best team in the American League, but they are the best team in the MLB by a substantial margin, I should add, as well. Now, the interesting part is Aaron Judge is playing on a contract here, and he is definitely not only showing his worth, he is proving it basically every time he steps out on the field wearing the pinstripes. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the start that Aaron Judge has been on, how do you think this is going to play out in the offseason when the Yankees and Judge go back to the negotiating table?
1: This is going to be probably the most painful offseason the Yankees have had in quite some time. And the reason I say that is because like anything else in sports, you make an offer to a superstar and you hope that he takes that offer because God forbid, like right now in terms of a business aspect, if he overplays that offer in terms of him balling out, that offer literally is completely irrelevant and what he wanted is now going to have to be paid tenfold. To put it into context, the reports were the Yankees offered him a seven-year Two hundred and thirteen point five million dollar extension to put him into the remaining contract, which is another year, into a eight year two hundred thirty million dollar contract. Aaron judge turned thirty two months ago going to be making around thirty thirty one million dollars per year, which is great, but not ideal for what he wants in terms of what he's been able to put out on the field. Aaron took the gamble and said i'm betting on me. I want more money or he wants more years from what I was reading. He wants more years. He wants to be tied for the foreseeable future. Now, in my opinion, I would only give him six to eight years. Here's why. We did this with A-Rod. We gave him like a 12, 13-year contract. We have freaking Bryce Harper out here under contract till he's in his 40s. We have Mike Trout here under contract till he's in his 40s. You don't know, especially in this sport, because of how long the seasons are, how much you're going to get from him in the back half of that contract. Are you going to be paying him $30-plus plus million at forty, forty-one when well, we don't even know if we're going to be good, when well, we don't know if we're going to be able to build around this team? We did it with A-Rod. We made this mistake already. Are we going to do it again? I don't know. Personally, I don't think that we need to go out there and give somebody 10 or 11 years. If we're giving you the dollar amount per year, that should be fine. I'm not saying give them a three- or four-year deal like we did with LeMayhew, but dude, Eight years at 30 some odd million dollars a clip. I thought he would have jumped at the bit for it. But now that he's actually going out here and putting up MVP numbers like he did in 2017 when he was robbed by Jose cheating Altuve and them shitty ass Astros, it it, it, it looks like they're going to have to up that offer significantly. And it looks like he's going to be paid upwards of 300 plus million dollars. And it looks like to divide that amongst the yearly rate, you're going to have to give him a 10 plus year contract because you're not going to be paying him 40 million a season. I mean, I get where the New York Yankees and where the evil empire, sorry, there was a freaking uh, gnat in front of my camera. Um, It it just, it looks like that's what's going to happen. 24 home runs, a 318 batting average, 48 RBIs, and we're talking about the best record in baseball on the best team in baseball. He's carrying us. Now, we are getting production from a lot of players like Anthony Rizzo, and we're getting a couple of of, of great pitching performances from Teon and Cole and Nestor Cortez. Like, the, the team is playing well. It's not getting twisted. It's not because of Aaron Judge that we're winning, but he is a massive factor into why this is happening. Now, again, I'm not... Uh, a, a a a GM or a front office member or a financial advisor, but if I'm looking at Cashman as a Yankee fan now, with him putting up the numbers he's put, bro, give him a check, give him a blank check. We can't afford to have this man walk away. He's literally one of the best Yankees over the last decade. We cannot let him walk away in free agency. He wants 10 years. You got to give it to him. Now, obviously, you got to bite the bullet and you're going to have to pay him over 30 300 million dollars a year. It is what it is. This is what you pay for unfortunately when you're talking about best players in the league. Harper's getting it, Trout's getting it. They're all outfielders. They all play defense. Granted Aaron judges and stealing bases like Bryce and Mike or you know getting consistent, you know silver slugger and MVP awards like the other two. But when Aaron is healthy, he's at that that upper echelon of top outfielders if not top players in the league. He's had a healthy season thus far. Knock on every ounce of wood on the face of the fucking planet. Last thing I need is for him to get hurt now, now that I said this. Aaron Judge is the face of the, of the Yankees. Aaron Judge should be the captain of the New York Yankees. And I firmly believe that he needs to be given the contract that he rightfully deserves. And I think he made a good business decision to say, I'm not happy with this. I'm going to show you what I can do. He's doing it tenfold. Give him the, give, give him the bread, bro.
0: Tell you what, bro. When it comes down to these contract years, these are when these boys come ready to play. And good on Judge for being able to show the Yankees, like, this is what I have. This is my skill set, and I'm going out there and dominating. And really, there's no other way for me to say it. The start that Aaron Judge has been on this year has been nothing short of dominating. Like He's been phenomenal. And it's not just the hitting aspect. The fact that he's going out there and playing great outfielding, um, alongside with that is just that's another, you know, tip to the cap to Aaron Judge and what he brings to that team. I mean, you know, when I look at what's going to happen this offseason when it comes to judge, a judge is going to get an absolute bag of a contract. He's going to get probably, I would probably say in between million $300 and 350 million dollars. And I would assume that the Yankees would be the one to hand it to him because the Yankees are the one that drafted him. Yankees have been there the entire lay, the entire way with him, but you know I tell you what you know when it comes to these contract disputes, this is a good incentive to show the Yankees front office like you guys gonna pay me or not because if not I could look elsewhere, and you guys are gonna have a void to fill. And when you look at the void that could potentially be left behind if Judge were to go to another team, I think the Yankees have every incentive to go out and pretty much give Aaron judge whatever sort of contract that he wants because he's backing it up on the field. Now, when it comes to the actual contract details, this is where I think it gets a little bit interesting. I'm with Kevin on this one. I'm not really of the mindset that a 10 year contract is going to do judge well and do the Yankees. well. And you could use the air. You could use the Alex Rodriguez example. When the Yankees gave him, I think it was, it's like a 10 year deal like upwards of near like 270 to 300 million dollars when he got that contract. I've always been in the mindset that a, a better contract to work around is somewhere in between like 5 to 7 years. Uh the reason why is I think those 10 years contract, I think those 10 year deals, I think they incentivize uh, complacency. I think there are some years that they look at the contract and they they may look at the certain team it's just like you know, if you're dealing with any sort of injury Maybe you just stay out a little bit longer because you don't want to deal with the the BS that comes with a a down year with the team. So I, I like a I like a contract length for for Judge around like maybe like seven, maybe eight years at the most is kind of pushing it. But I mean, with the way that Judge has started off, I mean Judge is probably far and away the MVP leader, um, for the American League at this point. The guy is one home run away from twenty five home runs. And we're only halfway through June. The Yankees are off to the best start compared to any other team in the MLB this year so far. And it really is in part due to Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is by far and away the primary force on the offensive side uh, for the Yankees. He's been, been amazing. He's on pace to hit over 60 home runs this year. Now, whether he does that, time will tell on that. And he has to stay healthy as well. But when it comes to when Yankees and Aaron Judge go back to the negotiating table, the Yankees are going to have to pay a pretty penny to keep Judge because he is showing them every dollar that he's worth right now. I mean, the Yankees are playing like they're going to a World Series this year. Granted, we're not at that point yet. We're still relatively early in the season. But it's guys like Judge that can make that possibility a reality. And uh, that'll be a very interesting uh, conversation to have that actually happens. And, you know, when that conversation goes back to the negotiating table, all in all, you know, judge deserves everything that he'll get this offseason because it's going to be a lot of money coming his way and he'll deserve every bit of it.
1: And the crazy part is with sports and free agency, Kyle, it happens every year in every sport. Everything. If they not gonna give it to him, someone else will. Exactly. And it's it's not even a, a fathom of an idea of, well, he plays okay sometimes, or like he has moments like where, where teams are gonna like think about it. No, no, no. This is Aaron Judge, one of the best outfielders and has been when healthy, as I stated before, mm-hmm. in the league, a multiple time Gold Glover, a a potential MVP candidate, as we've seen before. Damn you, Jose Altuve, um, dude. This is this is no joke. The Yankees need to be quick on this because I'm sitting here and I'm looking. The All-Star break is coming. We're going to talk about whether or not we actually make it to the postseason in terms of whether we have a first-round bye, whether we get to the World Series, whether we win, whether we lose. This series, his numbers are going to get better. Barring he goes into a 30-game slump, he's going to catch a fat bag. And he's going to get offers and put stuff on the table from other teams all offseason long. You don't want to wait until he gets that offer to where it's like, here's $400 million, Be the face of our franchise. I know Aaron's probably not going to want to go somewhere he's where he's going to lose. But again, money has swayed athletes away from better opportunities in the past. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that dollar sign doesn't carry weight in a decision.
0: It would just be so weird to see Aaron judge in a different uniform outside of the pinch. I would cry. Stuff. I would cry. Because like to me, he's homegrown.
1: He's homegrown. Yep. And yep, came up in the system the homegrown way, like you said.
0: And I think, man, to, to let him possibly walk, that would just be insane. Now, if he went to the negotiating table and was asking for a $400 million contract, I'm like, all right, bro, then, then you bug it.
1: You bug I'm, it. I'm not going to lie, bro, at this point right now, you got to give it to him. He's playing that good right now, bro. And the, the, the market price is that Bryce Harper and Trout, the money. That is that is the asking price, the Manny Machado money of like $30, $40 million a year. If that's what it needs to be, I cannot let him leave New York without that contract. I'm man, not man, saying that I like it. I'm not saying that I like the fact that he's holding GMs hostage. But that is the price you pay for not getting the deal done prior to the season starting. I mean, you lowballed you, him.
0: You can make it the case. And you know that. you did. I mean, I'll tell you this, though. I mean, Judge is going to go out there and ask for $400 million at the negotiating table, he could at least cite, well, it's like, it's inflation, bro. Like, what else do you want me to do about it? Everything's going bro, to go through I, the roof at this point. So, I I, mean, I that contract is going, going to be high. It's going
1: to be I'm not a fan of players doing this. I hate when it's done. I hate divas. But again, Cashman knows what he did. You lowballed him and offered him 30, knowing that he's better than the people getting more money than him. He's better than Lindor in 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 instances he has been better than Harper and i know that Harper has the hardware to show otherwise mike trout has been completely unavailable the last two seasons and he's getting up there in age two. he is in that discussion you do not underpay him to the people that are in that realm you give him the 32 to make him the highest paid even if it's by a mill You give him 35 to make sure that he's more paid than than Lindor. You give him the length of the contract then and make him the same realm. You don't lowball him in years, and you don't lowball him in money. Cashman knew what he's doing. This is what you get. Now look at him, balling out, fighting for an MVP. The Yankees are in the pennant race, and again, I know that it's June. I'm saying we are the best team in the fucking league with a random assortment of people that no one thought, including myself, that we would be here. For God's sakes, we signed Matt Carpenter, and in 10 games, he's got seven home runs. Like, what the fuck is happening right now? Seriously. This is what, this is what a championship team does. They make a run, and they, they, they do it with a random group. This is a championship team in terms of potential. Not a person. Not two people. A team. Everybody's cooking.
0: Well, that's going to be our next segment, and that is just the phenomenal start. That the Yankees have had so far this season. They just finished. A series with the Chicago Cubs. Where on Sunday. They beat the Cubs 18 to 4. They were smacking. Those motherfucking baseballs. Out of the stadium. All weekend. The Yankees are on a roll. And honestly. Kev that might even be an understatement. To say that they're on a roll. They are on fire. And. You know, when you look at their last 10 games, they've only dropped one. I think in the last 20, I think they've only dropped like two or three. Like This team is just firing on all cylinders. Now, granted, they are your team, and I know it gets you excited whenever we talk about the Yankees. But this, this, this start has been just outright insane, knowing that we were kind of seeing the Yankees as like a mid-level team this year. We didn't really think that the expectation was going to be that high, but they have proven us wrong. And they've proven us wrong by like a fucking mile. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Yankees starting forty-four and sixteen through their first sixty games,
1: are you just shocked by the start that they've had so far this year? Shocked would be an understatement, bro. The fact that we talked about this right as we started recording once again, because we typically, you know, try to get an understanding of where our points are going to go in this in our segments. The Yankees. Are pitching the ball better than I've ever seen in years. Tayon is seven and one. Cole is five and one. Montgomery is well; he's only two and one. But I mean, you know, it's it, he's playing out of his mind in terms of like, consistency. He's only got a two point seven ERA. It's just a matter of the offense not really backing him up sometimes in the games that he plays. Cortez is five and two. Luis Severino is freaking four and one. Like we literally have. A total loss count between our starters of six. Six losses between our five starters. That's crazy. It's just whatever the hell is happening right now, I'm not going to jinx it. I ain't going to say a damn thing. We're playing great baseball. The offense was never a problem for us. We already know when you have the bats of Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, now obviously Rizzo is coming into that offensive firepower. When Joey Gallo is on and and Glaber Torres is playing well, dude, we're not a rolling over kind of team. The issue has always been, it's either we can't pitch or we can't hit. Now the pitching has been the most consistent that it's ever been in the last decade or so, and the bats are flying. Bro, I think we've scored 10 or more runs like seven times this year already. In baseball, for those of you that are unaware, that doesn't happen very often. This isn't college. This isn't softball. No disrespect to women. I'm talking about just like soft pitch softball, like, you know, like a men's league and like the weekends and shit. Like this is this. This is not some rec league shit. This is the majors. And we're cracking the ball at a ridiculous rate. Overall, the team is playing great. We're playing solid on the road. We're capitalizing against bad teams. We lost a couple of games here or there. But once again, it's baseball. We're not going to win every game. It's 162 goddamn games. It's impossible to win every game. But the point is, we actually have a shot in almost every game. <laughs> we're sitting here. We're looking at the last couple of games, right? Just just the last two series. The Cubs, 18-4, to 8-0, to 2-1, close game. The Twins, we lost one. And that was our worst loss in a couple of weeks. The twins, the last game of the Twin Series, we won 10-7. We came back, by the way. We were down seven to one. And we came back and won that game 10-7, which is nuts. So kudos to the team for that. We lost to the twins 8-1. Like I said, that's our worst loss in a couple of weeks. Again, the game before that, 10-4. Game before that, 5-4, 3-0, 13-0, 2-1, 6-1. Like we are winning and keeping them, keeping teams under a specific amount of runs per game. And that that 10-7 to game against the Twins. I believe that was the Nestor game where he gave up a decent amount and he just Cole. could not get. That was oh, Cole. it was Cole. That's right. Cause we came back. That's why Cole got the no decision. The Nestor game was the game before that. Eight one. Um, I'm looking at this and I'm saying we just have a, a very well put together roster. We are, are hitting the ball at, at a great clip. It's not just home runs. We're actually hitting the ball as a group in terms of average. we're, 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 we're capitalizing and in runners in scoring position and I finally saw a statistic that makes the most sense last year we were 26th in infield efficiency in terms of like errors this year we're second from the bottom to the top literally that makes a big difference when we're actually finding ways to field consistently we got rid of uh Voight who was not a very good fielding first baseman. And we got Rizzo later in the year. Now Rizzo's here. We got rid of Gio Rochella, unfortunately, who was a gold glover at third. We got Donaldson. We got Carpenter. So they're solid. You know what I'm saying? We have D, uh, DJ LeMahieu, of course. We have freaking uh, Glaber Torres playing second like he should. But I can never remember this guy's name. I think it's Falafa or something like that. He's a gold glover. We've solidified the infield. Gary Sanchez is gone. that's massive, thank God. And our catching position has been solidified in terms of pass balls totality, in terms of like total pass balls of the year. The Yankees are doing it. The Yankees are winning. They're doing it in convincing fashion. The pitching is incredible. And the morale in the stadium and in the locker room has been amazing. I can't ask for anything more. I really can't. If we were to go on a slump this week, hypothetically, we were to go and we lose five, six in a row. I can't be mad because of how good we started. Dude, I love my team, man. I really do. I'm still ready for them to break my heart, though.
0: Why'd you have to end it like that?
1: I, 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 Hey, hey, listen, listen. Because good things things don't happen to New York, okay? Listen, I will believe it when the parade happens and I send you a screenshot of my ticket home. When 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 the game is over and the Yankees are twenty eight world champion twenty eight time world champions, I will then celebrate.
0: I mean, they're they're on their way so far. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. guarantee anything.
1: It but... Doesn't guarantee a damn thing. Seventy three and nine, baby. Seventy three and nine. Doesn't <laughs>
0: guarantee shit. Seventy three and nine this is a baseball topic. We're not talking about basketball here. what you you But
1: that? But we're talking about historic seasons, which is what the Yankees are on pace to do in terms of total wins. They, they are on that road. I yeah. don't care about the regular season. I want us to solidify a, a top seed, have home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs. I would love to just roll through and have the world series in New York. I'd love to win a world series. The regular season don't mean shit, bro.
0: Well, You remember the one thing that I said last year about the Yankees that they could never get? They could never get the pitching to align with the hitting at the same time to where they would consistently win games. Well, they finally figured it out because when I look at what the bats have been doing alongside the pitching, this is by far and away the best team in baseball. It's not even close. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the series that, that Kevin had just outlined, I mean, in the last three series, there's at least one game some of these series, there's multiple games where the Yankees put up at least 10 runs or more. I mean, putting up 10 runs is an impressive feat. And what they did on Sunday against the Cubs, putting up 18 runs is just, well, first of all, it's disrespectful. The fact that the Yankees were hitting that well is disrespectful because the Cubs just apparently pitching was just not their strong suit going into Sunday to give up 18 runs. That's just, that's just horrendous pitching. But, no, the Yankees have been phenomenal this year. And the expectations that Kevin and I had for the Yankees going into this year were not that high. We looked at the Yankees as a mid-level team that could maybe claw their way into the playoffs as maybe a wild card. And that was pretty much it. There was no way in hell that we would see the Yankees sitting at a 44-16 record, the best team in the majors, and you have somebody like Aaron judge who is playing essentially MVP type baseball. There is no way that anybody could have told us that this was going to happen when the season was just starting. There was no reasonable expectation that we had for this team. Like I can't believe that the Yankees are getting not only great hitting, but the pitching has just been phenomenal. Like Kevin outlined, I mean, the starting pitching between Garrett Cole, uh, Nessar Cortez, Teon, uh Severino, these guys are dealing. They're just phenomenal this year so far. Now, granted, it is June. We're halfway through June, and there's still July, August, and September to go through. So, you know, it's not to say that the Yankees are just going to continue this winning path the entire way through without sort of, without some sort of slump. They are going to hit a slump. It's just a matter of when. But I just think this team is just, they're just on one right now. You know, the fact that they're getting such good production outside of Judge, it really kind of goes to show how deep this team is, just with the bats alone. Giancarlo Stanton has been absolutely phenomenal when he's been healthy. Uh, Anthony Rizzo has been hitting freaking moonshots since... He first arrived uh, to New York, just specifically this season. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And then when you look at guys like Matt Carpenter, who just showed up a couple of weeks ago, he's hitting dingers. And not only that, I mean, you know they're getting Jose Trevino. Um, he's hit a couple game winners in his relatively short stint with the Yankees. Labor Torres has done very similar to what Ho- Jose Trevino has done. He's been very good in stretches. It's just overall, the Yankees have been phenomenal this year. Will it keep up? I have no clue. But, I mean, if they're able to keep winning at this type of clip for the next month or so, I I mean, they're going to be by far and away the best team in the AL when it's it's all said and done by the end of the year. Because if they're able to win like 60% of their games from here on out, I don't think any so I don't think any team in the AL is going to be able to catch them. I think the only team that may make it interesting is maybe the Astros as far as the best team in the AL. But the Yankees are just on fire right now. We'll see what happens if they can keep it up. But this is a dangerous team. And we'll just see whether or not they can carry all the way to the playoffs.
1: I mean, it's I'm happy. I'm not going to sit here and complain. And does it bring me joy that Boston is 12 and a half games back? No, oh, not it does. I, I am lying. It makes me very happy. It makes me a very <laughs> happy man to know that they are suffering out there in Beantown. So enjoy that. But it could end up happening what happened last year. We were down 11 and a half games and then we crawled back. So I'm not going to talk too much shit. I'm just saying I'm happy in the moment. I mean, you look at some of the better teams in the league, right? You know, just outside of just the Yankees. The Twins, 35-27. and 27. The Astros, 37-23. and 23. And then you flip it over to the National League. And the team that we're going to bring up next, the team that is actually surprisingly, unfortunately, the second best team in the league, it's going to be the New York Mets, our little brothers across the Bay in Queens. And they are 39-22. and 22. 40. Uh, huh? Oh, they just they're... lost right now? No, they won. Oh, they're 40 and
0: 22. They, they, yeah, they just won. So the, so the Yankees and the Mets, they're the first two teams to get to 40 wins.
1: <sighs> I will I, give I, them their credit.
0: I, Kev, I got to ask you. How does that make you feel that the Mets are the second team in the majors to get to 40 wins? Listen,
1: listen, 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 listen. Before we go out here and start bragging and giving them all their flowers and shit. Let me just be frank. New York, the best city in the fucking world, alright? This this shows it, alright? If the Mets are winning, the Yankees are winning, the world is poised for destruction, okay? Because both New York teams are not supposed to do this right now. It's usually supposed to be one, and it's usually us. The Mets had their year in 2015, they fucked up, and they didn't win. If the Yankees and the Mets end up in the World Series, the city of New York will completely implode within itself. Like, the It's the last time it happened was 2000. I'm just saying that was, that was historic being alive at that point. Granted I was six. Yeah. I just turned six. That was pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie to you. That was pretty sick. But the point is I'm looking at this and I'm saying, damn, the Yankees and the Mets are the two best teams in the league. The Mets have not been this good since 2015. The Mets went out and signed Max Scherzer. They got rid of Syndergaard. They got Lindor a few years back. Like they're actually playing really, really good team baseball. Like I said, they're nineteen and eight at home. They are kind of in a little bit of a slump. They're six and four in their last ten. So you know they're kind of like up and down at the moment. Atlanta's also 111 eleven straight. Let's put that out. Let's put that out there. So they're clawing their way back into the NL East. But in terms of as a unit, as a team. The Mets are actually playing really, really solid baseball. Their pitching staff is really electric. Their offense is really fun to watch. They're a very well-rounded team as well. Like I said, New York, the best city in the world. But anyway... You know, and then you go and look at see, what a, wait, aren't there some other teams in the NL that are really solid? The Dodgers are 37-23. and 23, The Padres are 37-24. and 24, The Cardinals are 34-27. and 27. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of competitive teams in the NL. And granted, the race between the top of the NL versus the AL is a lot closer. But overall, man, the Mets are doing what they need to do. So I'm going to give them their flowers. I'm just not going to give them the hype that the Yankees are getting because we all know this happens every year. Not to this extent, but the Mets start to win, whether it's a six or seven game win streak. They start to claw their way back into the East. In this case, they're leading the East, and then out of nowhere, they just met. (laughs) They just collapse. History tends to repeat itself. They are the most accurate representation to the Dallas Cowboys in the sport of baseball to where they have a couple of games where they play lights out, they fall apart, and then everybody says, oh, we're going to get it next year. Granted, where I'm comparing a 16-17 game season as opposed to 162, so it's a lot harder to say that. But Met fans are Met fans, and they always will be. They get overzealous. They get overexcited. And this is, this is what happens. But again, I'm giving them the credit. They're a great team. 39 and, excuse me, 40 and 22 is a great feat. Two New York teams are the best teams in baseball right now. I'm not necessarily upset, bro, because at the end of the day, as long as it ain't the Red Sox, I really don't care. There's not really much hatred for the Mets. Like I said, it's kind of a sibling rivalry. My uncle's a Met fan. My uncle, rest, my other uncle, rest in peace, he was another Met fan. I got some good friends of mine that are Met fans. They're good people. It's just, you know, Met fans tend to just be dicks. And not that Yankee fans aren't, but it's just, we're dicks because we're used to winning. They're dicks because they're jealous of us. That's just a known fact. But other than that, man, I'm happy to see the city of New York in terms of baseball doing well. And uh, if I ended up getting a Subway Series, I might actually go home for a game if I could afford it. I'm not going to cap. That would actually be crazy to know that 22 years later, that happened again in my lifetime. So I wouldn't be mad.
0: Guys, I always make this joke about New York City because Kevin can fully attest to this. When it comes to New Yorkers and how they feel about New York City, it's as if the They're basically the center of the universe, and everything else just revolves around New York City and and all the five boroughs associated with it. It's just... I see it as... This is just... This is just... I think it's poetic justice, bro. The, The fact that you have the Yankees and the Mets succeeding in the manner that they're doing at the exact same time, when nobody was really expecting that either team would be at this point right now. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I have no problem with the idea of the Yankees playing the Mets in the World Series. I think half of New York might burn down if that were the case just because the freaking Bronx and the Queens would probably be going at it pretty hard, but... Not the you know. Queens, just Queens. Okay, sorry, Queens. Whatever. Letting you know. Whatever, I don't care. It's not my city.
1: We're we're the only borough that has the in front of it because we lit.
0: <laughs> That's the difference maker?
1: Duh. Yeah, bro. The the Yankees win. The New York Yankees, not the Mets. Oh, well,
0: uh, I will say this though. You know the Mets have been to a World Series more recently than the Yankees
1: 100%, have. 100%. So. 100%. Same result as per usual. L. And they had that series. They- I remember that vividly. They blew that with a bullpen call. They blew that with a substitution to the bullpen when they should have thrown out somebody. I don't even remember the situation. I remember it because I literally said it to my dad watching it. I said, the Mets are going to fucking Met. And they're going to throw away something in this series. And they caved. And they lost to the Royals. The Royals were a great baseball team that year. I'm not saying that they didn't deserve to win. But the Mets had it. And they threw it away.
0: Here's what I'm going to say about the Yankees, though. You have... You have been in the mindset that 2017, that the Astros stole it. from Right. The outright stole it. Yes. I'm going to tell you this, though. Oh, God. If the Yankees screwed up this year, you can no longer use that as an excuse right now. Because this 100%. team this team right now, this team Is better than that 2017. Yes. Yep. Now, granted, that 2017 was younger. They were a little bit more- I They
1: guess, called them the baby y- bombers for the reason. Yeah. They were all young.
0: Yeah. Well- they're here now. They're right. here. They're ready to go. Right. And I, I'll just say this. If it doesn't work out for the Yankees this year, I, I, I don't want to hear 2017 as an excuse anymore. Five, it's five years ago. Five
1: that's years only ago. if we make the World Series or the ALCS. If we, like, fuck up in the ALDS or we end up falling to the wild card spot, that's a whole different category. I'm talking, like, we have to make it to that plateau, that same even level, to say that we made it the same distance with a better team. If we fall short or God forbid, we don't make the playoffs 2017 still stands.
0: I'm of the mindset that you know if what you, if you guys, you know don't what, you're right. Make, you're right. If you guys don't make the AL ALCS this year, this year is an outright failure. Well, I mean
1: can, the world series, you well, know, you don't win a world series failure, but you're right.
0: No, 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 no. Cause it matters. Like the expectation matters, Correct. The expectation. Well, granted this year, we kind of set it low to begin with, but with how they started, our expectations have kind of like gone through the roof when it comes to the Yankees. Facts. If they screw this up... No, granted, if they get to the World Series and they lose, hey, it happens. Right. Right. You you don't want to be on the losing side of a World Series, but at least they could say, we got to the World Series. Sucks losing it. Don't get me wrong. But this team, if they keep playing in the manner that they are right now, and they lose... Before the ALCS. I don't know how you're going to feel about that, but I could, I Ooh. can kind of guess. I can kind of guess what, what would happen if that was the case. I have a New
1: York, my bird. If that was the case, especially, yeah, especially I, the, I'm, I'm going to Cashman's house. and I'm going to say, if you don't sign that check right now, you and me are going to have a whole different conversation.
0: <laughs> That'd be a particularly fun one too. I know you have those type of conversations, bro.
1: I mean, if I had the power to meet with multiple GMs, multiple owners but, of my teams, we but, would have some interesting conversations.
0: But, but, you know, my thing is, is that, you know, you've been very critical of Aaron Boone as the manager. Have to be. The, the, the past couple years. Right. This year, this year, what would you say? What would you say about Aaron Boone this year?
1: I can't sit here and say that he's fucking up. It's really hard to fuck up a team that's actually going out there and putting good offense on the table. It's hard to be upset that the infield is actually holding up and minimizing errors. It's hard to to put the blame on him and say that he's been put in bad situations for substitutions, pitch hitting. The Yankees are doing good. Typically, managers don't really manage when winning. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's not because of him that we're dominating. Our offense is just hitting the ball well. Our pitching staff is doing the complete opposite, making sure that the other team doesn't. To me, managers really come out when you're in that medium stretch, when you're in close games, when you're in the playoffs and you have to make those late game decisions. And you have to make that executive decision to say, you know what? This guy sucks against lefties, but he's on a roll. He just retired six in a row. I'm going to let him rock because that's the old fashioned way. I will start to give Boone more slack when some of those more decisive, close, important games come August and September roll around and this team actually has its own identity. Right now, it's early. Right now, we're just coming up to the halfway point. Games, I'm not going to say don't matter, but you don't have to out coach the other team right now.
0: Well, like, you know, my thing is, like, let's say, for example, like Aaron Boone made, let's say he made a pitching change late in the game. It, but it's the right move to make. You know, you're you're bringing in a reliever, you're bringing in a closer and it just doesn't work out. Like, you know, guys given an opportunity but he blows it. Like right. you know, it, it, it's kind of like like who are you going to put the responsibility on? Like you could put it on Boone, you could going to put it on the player. Like you kind of have to kind of a- assess those those situations differently. But with this year I think he's been great. Yeah, like, I really can't for, sit for here. everything
1: that's on it, yeah.
0: I really can't criticize him and really the decisions that he's made. Granted, I mean the players are kind of making it well let's Easy just say for him. Yeah, his job is a lot easier when these guys are going out and performing. And you know, by and large, you know, pretty much everybody is. So, you know, you can kind of just lay back in the cut and chill for a little bit, knowing that Facts. basically chew like your the sunflower
1: whole, seeds, chew your gum, whatever you gotta do. Yeah,
0: you know, you got to cuss out the ump every now and then, you know.
1: I just I just get mad, and we've talked about this for years before we started recording. Because of analytics, because of modern-day technology, you tend to fall in love with a data sheet as opposed to what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I can't stand that because you're supposed to trust your gut. It's baseball. Yeah. I understand that, you know, you tend to throw 30% more curveballs to the right-handed batter, and obviously the curveball is the relief pitcher's most dominant pitch, and the hottest player on the team is up to bat. He hits curveballs. But, bro, you have to be able to make a a judgment call. He's hot. He's retired six of the last seven. He struck out four of them. You're going to put in someone that's cold. You're going to put in someone that may not be accustomed to the spotlight because the analytics say to put him in. It, you can't just rely on data. Baseball sports are more than just numbers, and his judgment calls over the last couple of years, both in the postseason and important games in later into the season, have been questionable, at the least. Yep. And we are—we're not baseball experts, but when you look at the numbers and you look at the situation, we have watched games on the phone, and I and I've screamed in your ear. Why in the fuck is he coming in? Why did you just pinch hit this guy? Why is Gary Sanchez starting behind the plate knowing that this pitcher has no control? You know what I'm saying? Like, there have been plenty of instances where his decisions have led to us losing. Now, the players have to execute. But if you don't put the player in that situation because you're the manager, maybe that doesn't happen. Again, it's dependent on the player actually being able to make a successful outing, hit, decision. But still... If you're reading a piece of paper as opposed to trusting your players, I can't trust you as a manager. You're just letting everybody above you in the booth make the decision for you. I can't rely on somebody like that later in the season to make an executive decision because I know for a fact that's not your call to make. That's Cashman saying, put this fucking guy in.
0: Well, you look at it this year, I think. Right, this this year has been great, but I stand by my point. Fair, that's fair. But, well, I mean, we're halfway through June.
1: I'm happy, forty-four bro. and 16 I'm happy. I'm ecstatic. And I just, I just want us to stay consistent. I don't need us to win 12 out of 15. I don't need us to win 20 in a row. Just want to be consistent. Let's stay ahead in the AL East at the minimum. Let's just keep a top-two spot, get into the playoffs, and then we'll make our run. That's all I want. And health. That's it. If they they win sixty percent of their games from here on out, they'll be fine. I'm good, bro. I'm good. Even if that means we don't get the top seed, I just want people to know that we are back. We are here, and we can we can make a run. Yeah, it's just
0: you know we'll see what happens. We're getting some dog days of summer, so going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. But Yankees are a good. Toward the Mets. Toward the Mets correct so but Kev I think that just about wraps it up uh, we we knocked out all of our topics so um anything you want to say before we end up wrapping this up
1: no man this was a great episode had a lot of fun back and forth um as per usual guys man we we just we love what we do man i can't stress this enough uh for those of you that listen um you know on, on the podcast settings like you know uh, the audio platforms we really appreciate it. For those that like come in and watch our videos on a week in and week out basis, we just genuinely cannot express to you how much we 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 gratefully appreciate it. And to those that watch our TikToks, man, it's we're having fun doing that. Kyle's putting a lot of extra work in his time to to make sure that those are good quality and that those videos are actually being as successful as possible. So the further we progress in this, the better it gets. And I just I cannot be happier where we are. We're not getting the subscribers that we want. We're not really getting a lot of views, but The fact that the content's still flowing and we're having fun doing it. It's all that matters to us, man. So again, thank you to everybody that supports us, man. Seriously.
0: Yeah. And, you know, no matter where we get the support, we we always appreciate it. Like Kevin said, whether it's on the audio platforms, whether it's on YouTube, uh, we just appreciate you guys tuning in just to really just give us a chance. And um, we hope that you guys enjoy what we do. I know Kevin and I do. We always enjoy it every time we get on the mic and talk about sports. So, you know, we definitely enjoy it. We hope you guys do too. Um, Just to kind of preview uh, the rest of the week, Um, we may drop a segment uh, in the middle of the week when it comes to the NBA finals. Uh, We might have a game six preview because that'll be in between our next episode. Our next episode will come out
1: Wednesday or Thursday. I think it's it's
0: going to be Thursday. Yeah, we might have to drop a we might have to drop a segment on Wednesday. or I had to yeah, record one for Wednesday, and then because game it
1: seven is set for a Sunday.
0: Yeah, cause so that account- means
1: this game has to be Thursday for the travel day. Yeah, you have to account for that. It's travels. across the country.
0: Yeah, so, but you know, no matter what, we'll have an episode at the end of the week, so we'll be able to we'll be ready to rock and roll on that aspect, and um, we got the Stanley Cup. Stanley Cup starts on Wednesday, so we'll definitely be ready for that. Uh, we got a great series between the Lightning and the Avalanche coming soon, so game 1 will take place in Denver, and we'll definitely be paying attention to that pretty uh, extensively now that that's going to be ramping up pretty soon. But um I got nothing else up from I got nothing else from here, Kev. Uh I'll let you take this one home for us.
1: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you for coming. We appreciate the support, and we'll be seeing you guys again at some point during the week.
0: Right. We'll Sir, Guys later.
1: Today is Working For Me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectricCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.